0: Welcome back to exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number two hundred and eighty-four, and this evening we are up, we are going to get to the walls of Moria. Well, I'm not sure if we're actually there. We're going to see them anyway. We're going to get the uh, we're going to set the scene um, once we get up to the uh, to the top of the plateau. Um. Uh. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> I see Coco Lady's telling a story of running into one of my former college students. I bet. I bet. I wonder if he uh, went to one of my Lord of the Rings movie marathons. Some of those are memorable. Um, But anyway, yeah, so we're going to get to see the walls of Moria tonight. Looking forward to it. I have now, like, I now look forward to the landscape description more than anything else. Even more than, like, the last couple times we've been focusing on their travel. Um... And but just like the Vista descriptions, right? So good. Um, so good. So I'm, uh, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, first, however, um, a uh, a a a announcement uh, this weekend, this Saturday. Uh, is going to be a fun event. It is the annual fall fundraising uh, campaign, campaign ending webathon. Uh, our big celebration at the end of our fall fundraising campaign is going to be this coming Saturday, the 9th of Sep- uh, it's December, in fact, now, not September. Um, the 9th of December, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, and there are going to be basically sort of three different segments that we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing. Um, a, uh, a, a sort of a review and a celebration of everything that's been going on at Signum uh, and uh, all of the stuff that we're looking forward to uh, in all of our programs and things. Um, so, you know, you'll be able to get updates on uh, the grad program and everything going on there and our space program and uh, all sorts of things going on. Um and I'll do my annual state of the university address. Uh, so we'll 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 kind of celebrate everything that has been at Signum and talk about uh, where we are looking to go uh, in this uh, in this coming year. Um, but then after that, there uh, starting at about four p.m. Eastern time, um, there's going we're gonna have a very special event, and that is the announcement and launch of a new program at Signum. Um, what we're gonna be doing is I've mentioned this several times before uh at a couple different venues um but this is going to be our new initiative our new publishing initiative uh Signum is going to be launching a totally new kind of thing a new kind of community um uh c- creative community publishing experience um it's going to be really cool um it's a it's a well, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited to share with you guys. I've mentioned to you, of course, we, uh, we launched our Signum University Press last year um, and we were experimenting with a bunch of things i've mentioned before um, that we're kind of this is going to be sort of 2.0 of that having learned a lot over the first year um, we are kind of leaning into some of the things that worked really well and we're uh we're kind of pivoting with that into a new direction which is going to be very signum and i think very exciting to our community so Strongly encourage you to attend this uh, that element that portion of it. If you even if you can't attend anything else on Saturday, at four p.m. Uh, Eastern time is when we're going to be uh, announcing and introducing then all the new stuff uh, that we're going to be able to bring you. <clears throat> um, we're going to be bring we're going to be bringing you books. We're going to be bringing you other written content. We're going to be bringing you uh, videos and really fun video projects. Um, anyway, it's going to be it's going to be really great. So again, so starting about four p.m., uh, we'll get that, and then in the evening, uh, starting at about six p.m. We're going to be doing fun and games. We're going to be uh, uh, going through and discussing the uh, of the different broadcasts that we have, and that's when I'm going to be doing the grand prize drawings from the fundraiser that I told you about, where we will be giving away the uh, uh, the the cheat death uh, grand prize for one of our exploring Lord of the Rings listeners. Um, so definitely want to. Um, uh, want to uh, uh, encourage you to attend, uh, that. that'll that be starting at 6 p.m. Um, and then we'll be going on to do other things. I think perhaps we'll even uh, uh, go on and do a little more uh, Lotro play later in the evening. A lot of people were wanting me to... When I did my Lotro marathon a few weeks back, um, Wigand, my character, got to a, an exciting part right in the middle of the uh, long flashback sequence. Um, from uh, uh, the uh, the War of the Last Alliance, uh, so I might uh, jump in and try to try to finish that up in the evening at the end of that. So anyway, lots as I say, fun and games in the evening. Um, uh, uh, really, uh, some 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 really rich uh, Signum updates and and sort of talking about all the stuff that's going on at Signum. For I know so many of you have been such wonderful supporters of Signum uh, through the years, and and always like to. Find out more about what's going on with us and what we're planning. And then in the middle at 4 p.m., the announcement of the exciting new thing that we're doing at Signum. Um, so that is what is happening this coming Saturday. So the whole thing starts at 1 p.m. Eastern time and we'll go until later than that. <laughs> probably, probably uh, midnight or so. Um, all right. All right. Um, so the cheating death. Remember, what I'm referring to, of course, is the winner of the grand prize drawing um, will be able to um, will be able to choose a passage, like a reg- like a slide-shaped passage, right? Not like a whole chapter or something. I was nothing crazy, um, but choose a passage that you are really, really looking forward to discussing, but you fear you might not live to see. <laughs> and and, uh, and we'll, we'll jump ahead and talk about it. Uh, the passage of your choice. So um, that's going to be... No, it's not maximum seven words, JJ. Come on now, that's an exaggeration. Um, so anyway, all right. Um, let me... But speaking of drawings, let us do... A drawing this evening for every from among everyone who has uh, um, filled out the form between last class and now. Let's do that. All right. So let's see. Got to do just a little bit of math here. Well, not much math. Okay. All right. I get my dice out here. Time to roll the dice. Do the drawings. So remember, the weekly drawings, Um, one of our, uh, you can choose, the winner gets to choose between one of our graduate courses or a month mission to the regional. The winner is, the winner is Bruce Heitbrink. Bruce, congratulations. Actually, is Bruce here? He was here last week. I'm not sure if he's here live this week. Um, but uh, anyway, no, I don't see him here this week. But congratulations, Brett's Bricktails, uh, for uh, those who may recognize his, uh, um, his, I was about to say call sign, but it's really something slightly different. His username there um all right congratulations bruce um all right um awesome awesome okay so um you can still fill out the form again by the way you have one more chance um i'm gonna do i'm gonna do a drawing from everybody which means if you've Filled it out week by week. If you filled it out every week, you'll get multiple shots at the grand at, at the grand prize. Um, but just to let's see, let me get you the link again. I'll post the link here as I've been doing. Okay, and there we are, and there we are. Okay. Um. So you can go ahead. If no matter how many times you filled it out, how many weeks you filled out before, you can fill it out again. Enter one more time, and we'll do the grand prize drawing on Saturday. All right. Um, excellent, excellent. Um, <laughs> Kurtzman says, "I think whoever wins should take us back to chapter one." Totally fine. I'd absolutely do that or the prologue. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Okay, cool. Let's get back to the text then. All right. They found the stone steps without difficulty, and Gimli sprang swiftly up them, followed by Gandalf and Frodo. When they reached the top, they saw that they could go no further that way, and the reason for the drying up of the gate stream was revealed behind them the sinking sun filled the cool western sky with glimmering gold before them stretched a dark still lake neither sky nor sunset was reflected on its sullen surface the seranan had been dammed and had filled all the valley beyond the ominous water there reared vast were reared vast cliffs their stern faces pallid in the fading light final and impassable no sign of gate or entrance not a fissure or crack could Frodo see in the frowning stone. There are the walls of Moria, said Gandalf, pointing across the water. And there the gate stood once upon a time, the elven door at the end of the road from Holland by which we have come. But this way is blocked. None of the company, I guess, will wish to swim this gloomy water at the end of the day. It has an unwholesome look. All right. So, um... I know, Sarah, right? The alliteration here, the sullen surface and the glimmering gold. So um, we got to start with this description. Um, There are definitely some clear motifs, right? Um, We've got S's. um, So many S's. So many F's, right? Right? They found the stone steps without difficulty, and Gimli sprang swiftly up them, followed by Gandalf and Frodo. When they reached the top, they saw that they could go no further that way, and the reason for the drying up of the gate stream was revealed. Behind them the sinking sun filled the cool western sky with dark still lake. Neither sky nor sunset was reflected on its sullen surface. The Saranan had been dammed and had filled all the valley. Beyond the ominous water, was were, beyond the ominous water were reared vast cliffs. I have a hard time reading that. I've screwed that up both times. Beyond the ominous water were reared vast cliffs. Their stern faces pallid in the fading light, final and impassable. No sign of gate or entrance. Not a fissure or crack could Frodo see in the frowning stone. Um. Okay. So. Um, Okay, so much here. This is just it's another one of those passages. And I don't want to focus so much on the sound of things that we lose um, what's happening. Um, You know, we don't talk about like the actual content and, and the things that are being described. But I think that this is this still seems to me a very sensible way to begin. It's just like when we do poetry. Right. You remember when we talk about poetry, which we haven't done in months now, by the way. um, But when we talk about poetry, I always want to start with establishing, you know, what I call the like the 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 oral economy of the poem. Right. Um, To hear the shape and the pattern and the rhythm, the cadences, uh, the, the sort of the structures, because by looking at those things first, before you think about the meaning of the words almost at all right um, you can see sort of patterns that begin to emerge like the the patterns of the sounds will draw your attention to things that are important right before you even start thinking about it right um, and that's always a really fun thing whenever you can see patterns in the text that are emphasizing certain things or making connections among certain things um uh, you know, places where, like in a poem, you're establishing a rhythm and then varying from that rhythm. Well, that place really stands out. Right. So when we come to think about it, like the actual meaning of the words and what's being said, we're, you know, kind of we have some added context for that. Right. Um, OK, so. I, the the alliteration is very pronounced. The primary, this seems to me like S's and F's are the primary trend that I see with like a minor in G's and W's. Um, But we get the the S's right at the start. Stone steps sprang swiftly, right? Both happening in that first sentence. This sort of establishes Things. Like just as the opening lines of a poem also um, establish the basic kind of rhythmic pattern, right? Um, we're, you know, again, if we're if our ears are tuned for this, if we're if we're if we're open to this, we hear that um, not only the general fact, like, hey, look, there's alliteration going on here. We should be paying attention to saturn- to patterns of sound but we're beginning to see which ones, right? Our attention is drawn to the S's uh, from the very beginning Um, then we get kind of a lull in the S's we come back with the sinking sun right, in sentence three Um, and then before them stretched a dark still lake Um, and then neither sky nor sunset was reflected on its sullen surface. The Serranon had been damned, um, and then the uh, stern faces uh, of the ominous cliffs. Um, neither of which ominous and cliffs both have. Again, once you're tuned for the s's, even those terminal s's uh, to me really stand out. Uh, or even the uh, the the you know the middle S's of impassable. No sign of gate or entrance, not a fissure or crack could Frodo see in the frowning stone. Um, now, so that's one thing we see, the S's. The F's are a, an interesting kind of pattern. The S's really force themselves on our notice because of the pairs, the pair, the two pairs we get in that first sentence, Um, the pair that we get soon after that sky, sunset, sullen surface, um, uh, even stretched and still in the sentence before that. Um, The F's I find are really interesting, right? Um, Found... So the Fs don't come in pairs. Um, Not generally. And I don't think we ever get them doubled. No, we never do. Not back to back like sullen surface or stone steps. Um, But the Fs are really persistent. They found, followed by Gandalf and Frodo. They could go no further. Um, And then we don't get any for a little while. Um, until the sunset is reflected in its sullen surface. But then in the second half of the paragraph, the Saranon had been dammed and had filled all the valley. Beyond the ominous water were reared vast cliffs, their stern faces pallid in the fading light, final and impassable. Stern faces pallid in the fading light, final and impassable. That's the pattern we keep getting with the Fs, not the doubles like the Ss. But we keep getting these two-word phrases with an F and something else: stern faces, fading light, final and impassable, frowning stone, fissure or crack, right? Um, So it's it keep and Frodo, Frodo at beginning and end, right? Which which feeds into this. Um, Yeah, yeah. So. Abelard, I agree, faces fading final there at the end. Um, it's um, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't jump out like we don't it doesn't hiss at us like the S's do. Um, especially because w- they come in bunches the way that they do. Right. There are these there are these stretches of hissing um, with those with all those S's um, in the especially in the beginning and in the middle of the paragraph, but the beginning and then especially the end of this paragraph, we have all of those Fs that we keep coming back to. Now, again, why, why, is, why do we do that, right? What's the, what's the point of that? What is the effect of this kind of choice, right? Well, like rhyme, one of the effects of rhyme in a poem is that it inescapably draws a kind of connection between two lines, right? Between two words. Um, you're going to link the, the, the rhyme, like, inevitably links in your brain those two words, right? Um, not that it, like, makes them equivalent or or, or, or whatever, but you can, like... You cannot help putting them next to each other. Your 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 ears and your brain kind of force you to right. They're 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 a pair or a set. Um, similarly, um, uh, similarly, we have in the with those f's at the end, right? That seems to me the primary effect of that piece of alliteration, of the of the F's in this paragraph. Um, we can, we begin to, we're kind of primed for the pattern in the first sentence. Found, followed Frodo. And then, but when we get to the end is when the F really comes into its own, and we begin to feel this, but their stern faces pallid in the fading light, final and impassable. Final. Uh, uh, and then, of course, Frowning Stone at the very end. Um, and it's all about the cliffs, right? Um, the the Fs are all about the cliffs, cliffs. The faces of the cliffs. The fading light. Final and impassable. You think about the word final there. Um, uh, uh, the word final is... Um, It feels right, I think, in large part because of the alliteration and because of the cadence of his sentences. Tolkien is doing some wonderful things with the cadence of his sentences. Um, One was the one that I saw several of you noticing as I was reading through the first time, Um, the way that he changes up the rhythm of the sentences. These sentences are long and fairly meandering, right? These are not like the short, quick action sentences that he often will, 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 will do. Um, they found the stone steps with difficulty, and Gimli sprang swiftly up them, followed by Gandalf and Frodo. When they reached the top, they saw that they could go no further that way, and the reason for the drying up of the gate stream was revealed. Behind them, the sinking sun filled the cool western sky with glimmering gold before them stretched a dark still lake hear that change that sentence in the middle is the change of pace which brings you up right um, the long sentences and the you know with the, um, the 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 let's see both of the first two are compound sentences um, uh, the second one is not a compound sentence, but, um, uh, but then we get not only the short sentence before them stretched a dark still lake, but you get those three monosyllables at the end, right? And he starts it with that, um, the D, which is, I see, um, uh, some of you are talking about, uh, uh, linguistics and the kind of sounds the letters are um the alliteratives are fricatives here um is is um uh is s a fricative it's a sibilant i know but is that technically in the same category as the fricatives um i don't even remember um uh yes all sibilants are fricatives thanks um uh, okay, so yeah, so the the, the alliteration is on the is on is primarily on the fricatives there, um, but he starts this with the D with the dark. It's a it's a it's a voiced plosive, right? As is B before. Before them stretched a dark, still lake, um, and that word order so. He's already inverting his word order from normal English order. Before them, um, I mean, stretched is the verb, right? So he's doing verb, subject, the lake stretches before them. So he's inverted it. Um, he's, he's inverted the word order already, which is like, okay. I mean, it's like legal and everything, but it's unusual, right? It feels poetic. Um, but also the word order... I don't know. Dark, still, lake. Um, I Maybe it's just me. I might be wrong about this. But I would expect still dark lake. A still dark lake. Um, dark, still, lake feels to me like a slightly unorthodox sequencing of his adjectives there. Um, and that combined with the D right, which uh, sets off that those three monosyllables sort of yeah, it's not quite Green Great Dragon um, but it's kind of close right Um, uh, yeah anyway, um, Yoga Lady I totally agree, the D in Dark makes it feel heavy and unwelcome yes, absolutely before them stretched a dark, still lake. Um, so yeah, th- again, just Tolkien has such a wonderful ear for the cadence of prose. Um, before them stretched a dark, still lake. Neither sky nor sunset was reflected on its sullen surface. The Saranan had been dammed and had filled all the valley. Beyond the ominous water were reared vast cliffs, their stern faces pallid in the fading light, final and impassable. No sign of gate or entrance, not a fissure or crack could Frodo see in the frowning stone. Ah, love it. Love it. Um, and what I love is the way it builds up to that final, that one sentence, the beyond the ominous, um, Uh, By the way, notice the behind, before, beyond sequence that he does. Um, It's behind them, before them, beyond the ominous water, right? So the whole um, uh, the whole sequence is being described not from their point of view, but like from like we're kind of swinging around, right? Um, uh, behind, before, beyond. Um, but it. This all, this whole digression began with the word "final." Um. To call the cliffs in front of them, like if you just said it, or if you just said, uh, beyond the ominous water. Were reared vast like or beyond the ominous water the vast cliffs were final like final is a weird adjective on its own you know what I mean like it's it's kind of abstract like final in in what in what sense right um, uh, but it's the alliteration that especially gives it weight you have you almost have to pause on it Beyond the ominous water were reared vast cliffs, their stern faces pallid in the fading light, final and impassable. No sign of gate or entrance, not a fissure or crack, could Frodo see in the frowning stone. So the the F's build up to final and impassable. But then we get three more in that last sentence. Fisher, Frodo, frowning, right. Um, and once again, we have an inversion of of like normal uh, syntax, right? Um, that is, it starts with the direct object. Not a Fisher or crack could Frodo see, right? That normally direct object follows. You know, normally verb or subject verb object, right? Is our normal English pattern. Um, but he puts the object first and the object is fissure or crack, right? Once again, the F paired with a non-F. Um, the fissure, Frodo is looking for a fissure or crack, some opening, some exit, some sign of hope, some non-finality <laughs> right, of the cliffs. Um, and what all he sees is the frowning stone, right? So you've got Frodo facing off against the stern face of the cliff. Um, and the cliff is winning this staring match, right? So you've got the frowning stone and the hope of a fisher, and Frodo, who's the subject of this sentence, kind of in the middle of it, right? um Jackie you were absolutely right um she said i never realized how often Tolkien uses frowning to describe features within the landscape but it's a lot yeah especially of mountains especially of unfriendly mountains um and um yeah yeah uh, so yes i just uh, the way in which frodo himself becomes implicated within the alliterative patterns of this paragraph is really interesting to me because he starts it too, right? We get the three F's in the first sentence. The, the, our, our ears are triggered to the F's to the, you know, to that fricative alliteration pattern in the first sentence with one of the, with Frodo is one of those two. They found, followed by Gandalf and Frodo. So Frodo's name, is one of the things which triggers us to be listening to the Fs at the beginning of the paragraph. And he is sort of the final, uh, you know, part of that, and we come back to him at the end of the paragraph. And the end of the paragraph presents us with, it's it's like personal. Right? Frodo versus the frowning stone looking, seeking for a fissure or a crack and failing. Right? Um, so, I, that's... Buoy, fun. Um, you see what I mean, by the way, about how when you pay attention to the sound patterns, um, it it kind of brings things out, helps you to make connections that you might not have made, right? And it's um, this is one of the ways. Um, you can't always do it. There's, you don't always in every sentence or every paragraph have these kinds of uh, of cues. Um, but when when you twig to them, right, when you notice them, um, it's awesome to pay attention. And the thing that makes it awesome is that when you see those things, you know you're not just making stuff up, right? Um, one of the things, of course, like, there's no law that says when you read a book, you can't just, like, reassociate and it makes you think of something and you know what you've thought of it and that's great you can think about it no reason you can't um that's of course all perfectly fine but one of the things uh that i think is really important when you're really trying to when you're trying to understand a story um and not just sort of use it to kind of trigger your own thoughts about things which again is a perfectly legitimate thing to do but um, when you're trying to understand a story and what's going on in a story um, you know often you'll read a, you know, a paragraph or you'll, you'll you know, read this passage you know like it makes me think this or it makes me feel that and that's cool also a very legitimate response to the text but the question is always like okay but is that you or is, is that there right and I you know most of us I think, at various points have like had moments of that sort of doubt, right like am I is this it me am I just is this just what it makes me think, or is there, is this is this there in the text, right is this something that the text really sort of suggests and pushes forward and um I um I think that it's um it's very. This is why I'm, I'm try, I always try, I'm trying to focus on patterns, right? Um, and it's why I am really enjoying working on my book in which I'm synthesizing a bunch of the observations that we've made in addition to going through and making observations uh, here in our discussions. Um, because that's where the fun is. First looking really carefully and noticing stuff and then putting together and saying what do the patterns show? But when Tolkien hands us something like this, like these kinds of sound cues, which, frankly, I just don't know very many other authors who do this kind of thing in a paragraph of descriptive prose. Um, But um, when he does it, it's really fun to use it and pay attention to that. Um, Okay. Um, Johannes, that's really interesting. Um, Frodo is practicing looking for fissures and cracks for when he gets to Mount Doom. You know, I hadn't been thinking of this sort of uh, foreshadowing involved there. Are you suggesting, Johannes, that there is more than one frowning mountain uh, that Frodo is going to be facing uh, over the course of his career? And um, that um, Frodo's... (laughs) relationship with fissures and cracks or, uh, in mountains is uh, perhaps significant um, uh, yeah that seems that seems very <laughs> you weren't serious at all well I, I'm buying it Johannes. I think you're right I think you're right um, yeah I think you're right um, and true Mount Doom does more than frown. You're absolutely right. Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Remember. um, But so so yeah, Johannes. Yeah. So remember Carothros? Sam thought Carothros was Mount Doom. Right. Remember, he'd begin to think that, um, this here red horn was it until Gimli spoke his piece. Right. Um, so we already have, um, we already have, uh, uh, you know, the, the text has already given us a connection, right. Between the two of them. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, Do we ever mean any cheerful mountains? Are there any cheerful mountains in Tolkien? Smiling peaks and that sort of thing? You know, um... Jovial stone or something like that? Um... Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe in the Silmarillion. Though, you know what? Even Tiniquatil is not exactly like a happy little mountain, you know. Um. <laughs> oh, that's good, JJ. Yes, Gimli is going to describe Carathras as smiling later on, um, but it's going to be a. Uh, a gloating smile very unpleasant smile um yeah right yeah yeah I I think Mindaloan is is uh, in Minas Tirith is still pretty solemn um but uh (coughs) um anyway Two Juice Man I wanted to come back to your comment because I think you're right um One of the reasons, so I, I, you may have noticed that I was kind of resisting interpreting, like, the fact that we were alliterating on fricatives. Um, The main reason I think that that's significant is that they're similar kinds of sounds, right? So if you had, say, a bunch of Ds and a bunch of Bs, um, you know, so, yeah, like, both Ds and Bs, then it would be significant... I think not because I think that like voiced plosives are like intrinsic like that he's doing something symbolic with voiced plosive necessarily um but just because they're both voiced, so there'd be a lot of voiced plosives similarly, there's a lot of fricatives here um so one of the effects that I would say that the choice of like the s's and the f's both doing both both the s's and the f's in this um uh in this paragraph is that it it creates um even more sort of consistency of sound, right? And therefore, I think, um, affects us more. Even if you don't notice it. I'm not going to lie. I've never read this paragraph before um, and been like, oh, man, the uh, alliteration. There are places where the alliteration had always jumped out at me, like the fling fuel on the fire, uh, paragraph that we talked about in the wolf fight, uh, just a little while back, uh, for instance. But I never read this paragraph and it was like, Oh wow. The alliteration, but it affects you. Um, it affects you. It steers you, whether you think about it or not. And again, I think one of the thing, one of the effects of the, um, uh, one of the effects of the S's and F, alliter- the S and F alliteration in this paragraph is to bring words to the surface to, to really make them impact you in ways that they probably would not um, if it weren't for those patterns. And those words I would include, like final is definitely one. I think even still in dark still lake, combined with the inverted... Uh, Uh, adjective order again I think the S's really make that word still um, really really prominent I also think that sullen surface is just a delightful phrase Um, and um, yeah but again do I think it's do I think it's there's like a symbolism to it or something that he's wanting. I don't think it's on a monopoetic exactly. I don't think he's necessarily trying to, um, you know, convey something through the hissing sound, you know, the, 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 the hissing and windy sounds of the fricatives or, or anything like that. I don't think that's necessarily the case. So do to juice man, I agree with you, um, that, uh, you're saying, I think Tolkien does it without thinking. Um, I kind of agree. But I do think um I do think th- you know what I would love to do juice, to juice man. I would love to see a couple Hey as, so I'm just I just tossing these out every week. Here's another really great moot paper topic. Take one of these paragraphs like this. With really interesting alliterative patterns or one of those Karathras passages that we were looking at or even the wolf fight scene that I just alluded to and do a close comparison when Christopher gives it to us with the draft in the, the, the original draft, the first draft of the passage um, my suspicion my hypothesis, which we would have to test, my hypothesis is that in revising these paragraphs, Tolkien leans into it. Um, I don't necessarily think, I certainly doubt to Juice Man that he began this paragraph saying, okay, how can I construct this paragraph around fricatives? Right. Um, but I do think once they start, he feels it right. Once they sort of start, um, It's possible, for instance, that the whole thing started with stone steps, which is just like that's practically what he described previously, right? Um, And once we have Gimli springing swiftly up stone steps, we're off on the S's, right? Now he's got S in his head, and he keeps coming back to it, right? Um, And perhaps... Perhaps this is, so. I so again. I again. I'm. I'm not saying that he's constructing this. He sets out to do it in a sense. Um. But I do think he's aware of it, and I, th- I, I, his ear is really, really good for this kind of thing. And I know that he thinks because he talks about this in places. I know that he thinks about things like the cadence of his sentences and how he's shaping these kinds of descriptions things like before them stretched a dark still lake. Um, he doesn't do that by accident you know um, that's not a that's not a coincidence. that's a deliberate poetic choice in how he's trying he's he's shaping this um, uh, yeah yeah anyway um, uh, okay. Um Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's true, too, Juice man. I'm not forgetting that you're already doing Boethius and professional wrestling. Um Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be good. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> um Bjorning, yes, very good. We are uh Back to capital S sun. Let me hang on a second. Um, back in the, wasn't it just last week that we were getting? Um, yes, the sun, lowercase s, right there. The sun turned from the noon. Yeah. So we just had the sun turn from the noon, and now we get the sinking sun. Filled the cool western sky with glimmering gold. Huh. Huh. Um... Is it an editing oversight, Emma Thorn? In the sense that, like, he capitalized sun and they forgot to uncapitalize this one? Like, um... Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. No, it doesn't seem to have to do with personification because that was the whole point we were making about the sun turning. Right? The sun being at the noon, right? And turning. Yeah. The sinking sun filled the cool western sky with glimmering gold. Yeah. I don't see it. I don't see a clear pattern. Um, I don't see a clear pattern. It doesn't mean there isn't one. It just means I'm not seeing it. That's the fun thing about making discoveries like that. When you can... It might not have an explanation, but... um, Yeah. I was thinking about the sun being in the west here. Nope, not here. Here. Um, But of course, west is not capitalized. (laughs) So in a sense, that doesn't help. Um, yeah, well, I think that's one where we would need to see a bunch of different passages in order to see it. Um, okay. Anyway, but um, somebody was asking very sensibly. Let's see, who is it who doesn't want to let the alliteration discussion go? Sorry, I missed you. But I saw it, and I agree. What about the Gs? Frodo's name isn't the only one that uh, triggers alliterative notice. Gandalf and Gimli do too. Um, the G's are less pronounced most of the time, right? Um, the G's kind of link, lurk, in a sense, over this paragraph, right? Because you've got Gandalf, Gimli, and the gate. And um, Gandalf, Gimli, and the gate is kind of what we're here for, right? Um, but um, uh, in the middle and I, but I wouldn't have thought anything of the gates if not for that one phrase glimmering gold. Behind them the sinking sun filled the cool western sky with glimmering gold. Um, yeah, that's really the heart of it. And I think the effect of it, honestly, I mean, notice how those G's, that G pair is really just sort of in the middle of um of all those S's, right? The sinking sun, um, the sinking sun filled the sky with glimmering gold, stretched dark, still lake, sky, sunset, sullen surface. Right? So both of the sentences, both that, you know, the, the, in those three sentences there around glimmering gold, um, that's where we get all of those S's, right? And the G's are kind of in the middle of them. Um, to me, the pairing there just sort of emphasizes... Like, just in case you weren't noticing, the S pairs, the glimmering gold... It's hard to miss glimmering gold. Because G, you know, the... Um, oh, what's the word for it? Be honest on earth. The, those the consonants in the back of the throat. I forget the name of it. Velor. Veller, de G, the hard G, right? Um, yeah, the voiced voiced um, uh, Anyway, yeah, glimmering gold. It's hard to miss those because those are those are much harsher, certainly, than all the hissing and and and, and effing, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Velera, that's the word I was looking for. Um, Yeah, I like that. um, um, It's like sinking sun, glimmering gold is a high point after which everything sinks slowly into silence. Yes, yes. Down to sullen surface, basically, right? Um, From the gold of the sky and down into darkness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jackie says, it leaves me with the impression of the sun sinking and leaving them in the gloom, leaving them in the glooming. Um, Yeah, uh, gloom and gloaming uh, being two of uh, Tolkien's other favorite GL words. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, okay. Now, but I, I promise we wouldn't just talk about sound. Um, notice once again, we are reminded, it's not described, um, we're reminded of Gimli's excitement. And I just love this. Gimli springing swiftly up them. Up the stone steps, right? Um, Gimli is having such a good day, <laughs> right? Just think of it, it, that briefest of glimpses into Gimli's mind as he springs up the steps in order to, like, this vista looking, and again, all of these descriptions, um, the frowning stone the stern face's pallid in the fading light, final and impassable. Um, this is not... This Frodo's experience this is not Gimli's experience, right? Um, uh, man, it's fun to imagine. Uh, do you think the mountains are smiling at Gimli? Do you think that's the problem? Is that we don't get mountains described from a dwarf perspective enough to see them smile Um, but um, I don't know but I certainly doubt that he is looking at the cliffs and thinking they're frowning at him Bricktails are frowning at everyone else yeah yeah exactly by the way Bricktails I don't know if you missed it you won the drawing earlier on tonight um, but um, but yeah yeah. anyway um, the frowning stone I uh, yeah we're not told we're not told what Gimli's perspective is we're not told um, uh, just that one little glimpse of him springing swiftly up in front right nobody can stop Gimli um, but it is really fun to just kind of stop and do that little, um, take up the, 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 the very quiet, imaginative invitation that we're given there to put ourselves in Gimli's position. Um, and just imagine, as I said last time, what a very different day Gimli is having <laughs> than everyone else is having. Um, but, and I wonder what he thinks of the lake, for instance. Um, but uh, that's sort of another matter. Um, One thing that I would uh, draw attention to, this might seem like a small step up from looking at sound patterns, but um, look at verb tenses and participles in this paragraph. The first two sentences are relatively straightforward, describing their actions. They found the stone steps without difficulty, and Gimli sprang swiftly up them, followed by Gandalf and Frodo. When they reached the top, they saw that they could go no further that way. And the reason for the drying up of the gate stream was revealed. The shift to the passive voice in the second half of the second sentence is a kind of trigger. It triggers the shift from, or it, 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 it points to the shift from describing their actions to describing what is sort of a static, in theory, a static tableau in front of them, right? Um, the drying up of the gate stream was, the reason for the drying up of the gate stream was revealed. Okay, so we've got passive voice revelation of the reason for the drying up of the gate stream, but now watch what happens. Behind them, the sinking sun filled the cool western sky with glimmering gold. So, we have normal verbs. Well, one, Filled right, but now notice we're getting all these participial adjectives present participles, sinking sun, glimmering gold. So the things are being described, um, with actions, right? Sinking sun, glimmering gold, before them stretched a dark, still lake. Stretched is a really interesting verb here. Um, not only because it suggests that Tolkien is stretching for S's, uh, perhaps, um, but um, uh, it also conveys this, this sense of distance, right? They, they see a lake, the lake is way, they didn't, Gandalf just told them what to expect, which is a valley with a stream running down the middle, right? <clears throat> and instead, this lake stretches in front of them. It's really quite big, right? Um, neither sky nor sunset was reflected on its sullen surface the Saranen had been dammed and had filled all the valley beyond the ominous water were reared vast cliffs their stern faces pallid in the fading light final and impassable um, the light fading like the sun was sinking and the gold was glimmering. The stone is frowning, of course, at the end. But what I'm especially interested in here is the, um, the, the voice of the verbs. The reason for the drawing up the gate stream was revealed. Before them stretched a dark still lake. That's active, kind of unexpectedly active in a way. Um, That is interesting to choose an active verb instead of a linking verb. Like, he could have said, it would have been boring, but he could have said, before them was a lake. Right? But he doesn't, he gives it an active verb. Neither sky nor sunset was reflected on its sullen surface. Passive voice. Right? Um... uh, This was reflected on. No, it's not passive. It feels passive because of the way he keeps inverting his sentence structure. uh, Here, Um, beyond the ominous water, were reared. Is it passive? Was reflected. Yes, it is passive. Hang on, it is passive. It's the surface of the lake that's doing the reflecting. To make it an active verb, you would say the sullen surface of the lake reflected. You know, you'd say the sullen surface of the lake didn't reflect the sky. Yeah, it is passive. I was right the first time. It is passive. Um, Yes. Yes. The Saranan had been dammed and had filled all the valley. Beyond the ominous water were reared cliffs. Um, I'm trying to, trying to put my finger on what I'm getting at here. I'm feeling something, but I'm not sure what it is. I think I see what it is, though. In some of these, the use of the passive voice works in a similar way to how he's inverting word order, right? Nothing is... Yeah, it does manage the flow of information. To be honest, I agree with that. Um... neither sky nor sunset was reflected on its sullen surface. Um, but I think there's one, the payoff of this, the passive mood voice, sorry, that's being used in this paragraph is be, um, the Saranen had been damned. remember that there are two ways you can do the passive voice. One um, one is to change the sequence, right? So like normally you do in, in, in the active voice the person, the thing who does the action is the subject of the verb, right? So you can say, "The dog bit the man." That's active voice. If you flip it around the other way, you, you're, you're conveying the same information, but you say it backwards. or You say it the other way, right? The man was bitten by the dog. Passive voice, right? Um, and by shifting it, by turning it around, you're emphasizing different things, right? You make it a, the man with the, you know, the dog bit the man that sentence is a story about a dog, right? The man was bitten by a dog is a story about a man, right? So um, so I agree with you, Björn Um, in one sense, some of his shifting to the passive voice is, as you say, kind of managing the flow of information. Um, neither sky nor sunset was reflected on its sullen surface. Does this, right? That's a story about the sky, and sunset. Um, Neither sky nor sunset was reflected. Whereas if you said that sentence, the active voice, um, the sullen surface of the lake did not reflected neither sky nor sunset. That's a story about the lake. You see what I mean? So he um, he emphasizes this, the negative sky or neither sky nor sunset was reflected on its sullen surface. Um, The lake is dark and still, as he's emphasized before. But there is another way to do the passive voice, not just switching it around, right, but by removing the doer of the action, right? It's, um, if you say, you know, The dog bit the man, and then you turn it around and just say, the man was bitten. By whom? Now you're concealing information, right? This is how politicians use the passive voice famously. Right. Mistakes were made. Um describing the effect without revealing the cause, Gil Dalawin. Exactly. Exactly. Um we're told in the first usage of the passive voice that the reason for the drying up of the gate stream was revealed. The mystery of the disappearing river has been solved, right? Except it hasn't. The Saranan had been dammed. By whom? Who did the damming of the Saranan? Why has the Serranin been damned in order to fill all the valley? That was a thing that was done, right? It's, um, yes. And I see everybody's been having a lot of fun with the, with the damning of this of the Serranin, not in the Dantean sense. It is a damning accusation. <laughs> Oh, that's pretty good, Josh. I like that. Yes, it is a damning accusation, in fact. Um, yes, um, but again, you see, this is the thing that the passive voice does here. Um, he, he he plays um, he plays with it, right? He 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 plays it up. In the passive voice, he says that the reason was revealed. But he doesn't actually... Re- I mean, okay, technically, yes, in the sense that the drying up of the gate stream is due to the damming of the, of the river, right? That made it fill all the valley. Um, but that's not... doesn't solve the... Um, uh, it it, it it doesn't st- sorry, I'm still laughing about a damning accusation. <laughs> yes, it does not identify whom the damning accusation is being leveled at. Um, you, you see what I mean? so' there's, there's an actual sort of sleight of hand being done here. The reason is revealed, but the mystery is really just deepened. And that sentence, as I say, that's sort of the payoff of all of this passive voice that kind of, you know, builds up to this. And then notice there's one more step of payoff in the next sentence. Beyond the ominous water were reared vast cliffs. He didn't have to put that in the passive voice. He could just say, you know, beyond the ominous water. He could even just say the same verb in the passive, potentially, right? Beyond the ominous water reared vast cliffs. I wouldn't have batted an eye at it, right? But even if you wanted to say something like rose, perhaps, right? Beyond the ominous water rose vast cliffs. I just use an active verb to describe the cliffs rising beyond the ominous water. Yeah, that would work. No problem. But it he doesn't. He's a passive verb there. The The vast cliffs were reared. Reared. Like, somebody raised them up. Somebody, like, hey, who put those... Like, for, not only are we asking, hey, who damned the stream, we're asking, hey... Who reared the cliffs? Um, and we have no idea. Right. Um, it adds to this sense of, now, I don't think that we're supposed to be guessing at that one in the same way that we're supposed to be guessing at who damned the stream. Um, but, um, yeah, Melkor to stop the elves from going west? Probably. Yes, probably. Um, at least, you know, that's what the elves say. Uh, sorry. sorry. Um, the, it was one of the conversations I had with the developers of the, uh, the Return to Moria video game uh, when I was consulting with them, is uh, we decided that that passage in the Silmarillion was wrong. Um, the passage that describes uh, Melkor raising uh, the Misty Mountains in order to prevent Orome going across. Um, not or not that it's completely wrong, but that um, it's a very inadequate and partial description and frankly, um, flippant and biased description uh, uh, description of it that the dwarves would have a very different story, and the dwarves would know much more about these mountains than the elves did um so we um we invented a whole uh, sort of dwarvish mythology about the misty mountains and khazad doom in particular uh, that was really fun um but uh <laughs> anyway so I, I can't help but i can't help but think of that um, but um yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Uh, But yes, this whole the trend of the passive, the segue to the passive voice, and then how the passive voice dominates the middle of this paragraph really does create this sense of wondering what is going on. Something has been done, but what? was done, and by whom, and why. And the passive voice really prompts us to think of that, and even with the cliff, the rearing of the cliffs, right, um, gives this vague sense that if the seranan had been damned for malicious reasons, which certainly seems possible given the sullen surface of the dark still lake, um, then, uh, what about those cliffs, right, is the whole remember the sense that we've been toying with for the last several passages that, like, the suspicion the doubt, the fear that the land itself is, like, out to get them, right Um, that's that's um, once again a thing that I hear in the passive voice about the rearing of the vast cliffs, right um, is it, what exactly are they up against here? Um, just like they were wondering if Sauron himself had sent the snowstorm, uh, you know, and his arm had grown long indeed, if he could do that in Gandalf, his arm has grown long, right? Um, and then, of course, the mountain, itself being against them and whatnot. Anyway, that sense I think it gets really deepened by this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. one last note on final and impassable and then we'll move on quickly to the second paragraph um remember that one of the remember Boromir's words that kicked off our uh, our travel on this day right um that is his um grim anticipation of the probability of death with their backs against the wall uh, until they're swarmed over by wolves. Um, this idea of the finality of the cliffs, I think we've got to be thinking that way. Um, and it seems likely that Frodo, from whose perspective this paragraph seems to be Described um, does really um, seems to me uh, to be thinking in terms. He's thinking about mortality here. I think Um, he's hoping for a sign, right? A sign of escape. Escaping underground is the main thing that they're focused on, right? They've been racing against the sinking sun and the sunset. Um, they've been trying to get to this place before dark so they could escape the wolves and now they have to get through the gate. Um, the the, uh, the damming of the gate stream is at least a bad sign, right? Um, the way that the stream surrounding is connected with the gate um, in its name. Uh, so yes, um, how final indeed are going to be the cliffs here. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Gandalf's declaration. There are the walls of Moria, and there the gate stood once upon a time, the elven door at the end of the road from Holland by which we have come. But this way is blocked. None of the company, I guess, will wish to swim this gloomy water at the end of the day. It has an unwholesome look. Um... So he begins in you know uh, tour guide mode, right? And I think by notice the um the sort of turn he does there in the, which is I think very interesting and anticipates what he's going to be talking about when they get to the gate. Um The gate, capital G, in the walls of Moria. Um and the gate but the gate of Moria is also the elven door, capital E, capital D. Right. Um He said yeah, Bjorn son. it's a little odd. That he says the gate used to stand here. Um, There the gate stood once upon a time. Um, So he is saying, you know, uh, the. I don't think he's suggesting the gate might have wandered off, right? I I think that's the point. Like, it might not look like much. Like I know you're seeing, um, you know, frowning stone without fissure or crack, but the gate stood there once upon a time. And then he adds the elven door at the end of the road from Holland. So it's not only the dwarf gate, it's also the elven door. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's meant to be hopeful. I think that's meant to be hopeful And the primary reason, I think that's the primary way in which I am hearing hopefulness there or sort of cheerfulness there. They have come, by which we have come, is the thing that that leads me there. Um, Because they've come up from Holland. They've come up the very, this door was designed to welcome people in who travel up the road that they came up towards it. Right? So he is pointing out, okay, nothing has quite gone according to plan, right? Um, we didn't find the river for a while. Then we found the road, but it didn't have the river, and now we found the river's been dammed up and stuff, but whatever. We came up that road, the elf road, to the elf door. Um, you can't see it, but that's where it was, and, and, it's, and, and the point of it, the point of that door is not to be unenterable from this side. The point of that door is to welcome people who come up the road by which we have come. I think that's supposed to be, well, it's not um, hopeful, at least sort of cheerful, right? But then it turns. But this way is blocked. None of the company, I guess, will wish to swim this gloomy water at the end of the day. It has an unwholesome look. Um, I agree that, um, uh, you guys, uh, several of you guys were talking about the, the word unwholesome here. Um, and I agree that the word unwholesome is doing a lot of work in that last sentence. Um, notice what yeah Emily I agree unwholesome doesn't suggest evil just icky right um (laughs) not characterized by or conducive to health or moral well being Jackie okay there you go um uh Insalubrious, Valoria, that's exactly it. It looks unwholesome. I think there are two things that Gandalf is acknowledging here. One, there is something about this lake which just ain't right. The description itself suggested that. Dark, still lake, sullen surface. Um. so this lake is objectively creepy as a lake Gandalf is acknowledging that but what he's not talking about is the mystery of the damming of the Serenon why has the Serenon been dammed why is this gloomy water here he implied this way is blocked. I mean, he has implied or acknowledged that, yeah, so it looks like someone has actively tried to stop people coming in this way. Um, and this helps to uh, put into context the past tense description of the standing of the gate. There the gate stood once upon a time, the Elven door, at the end of the road from Holland. But the way is blocked. This was meant to be, this was a, they had a big old welcome mat here for their neighbors, the elves. That was the point of this gate. Um, Far from being frowning stone and stern faces, these were, this was a welcoming facade, right? For the elves. But it's been blocked now. But he doesn't emphasize that. Who blocked it? Why? Instead, he just points out the unwholesomeness of the lake. Um, I don't know why the lake's not frozen. Yeah, I don't know. Um... I mean it's obviously lower altitude than up in the mountain when they were climbing but um, yeah I don't know we don't know exactly how cold it's been apart from that eastern wind it doesn't seem to have been very cold like they're not described as being in in like arctic winter conditions you know Um, apart from in the snow on the mountain, but that was up high in the mountain. Um. Yeah. Um. Everett, the other use of unwholesome, that's in, is that in chapter two? When Gandalf tells Frodo that the ring is an unwholesome effect on its wielder that sets to work immediately? Um. That was my guess as to when the other use of Unwholesome was. Um, yeah, that was it. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's... Um, I think it's... Not surprising that the lake isn't frozen. Um most of Ariador seems to be fairly temperate. I mean, low temperate. Um, you know, if the Shire is more or less Oxford in latitude, we're told the Shire doesn't snow very often in the, in the Shire. I take it that probably means that things aren't necessarily frozen all winter long there. And we're South that now. Um, so yeah. Um Yes. Um Oh, that's interesting, Brick Tales. The word wholesome is used 4 times as in Rivendell, a wholesome piece lay on the land. Interesting. Interesting. Um so, yes, yeah, Sphinx, exactly. We're in the equivalent of, like, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle of France. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, Abelard, I agree, it faces west and would get uh, sun during the day. Right, right. Yep, probably so. Um, yeah, even up here, I mean, even in New England, in New Hampshire, where I live, um, I've got a, well, it's a pond, small lake, large pond, um, right next to my house. And, um, it'll freeze in the wintertime, but if it's warm enough for a while, it'll, it'll thaw even in the winter sometimes. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, and yes, I, some of you I saw were kind of joking and saying that, uh, they would all doubtless wish to swim the gloomy water, you know, in the beginning of the day or in the middle of the day. There, I think that's Gandalf doing hobbitry, right? That's Gandalf making light of the thing. Um, acknowledging that everybody finds this lake creepy um, and saying it lightly. Um, no, one, you know, no, no one mm-hmm. will wish to swim this gloomy water at the end of the day. Um, and then unwholesome is uh, understatement, right? It has an unwholesome look, but he doesn't lead them to worry about the passive voice. Who has done the damning? Um, is the land conspiring against them? What is it? Is there something conspiring against them? And if so, what on earth could it be? Um, so, yes, Dr. Benway, I agree. More Gandalf morale boosting via hobbitry is just what I'm seeing there. But again, acknowledging the obstacle this way is blocked. Um, uh, okay, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, okay let's stop there because it's getting late lots of uh, okay it wasn't uh, poetry but it was a fairly poetic description which I was really excited about uh, so thanks for spending the time to discuss it with me um, we will uh, return next week to talk about Bill and uh, to discuss Bill's future uh, in his uh, connection to the company here. Um, All right. Thanks everybody for joining me. Don't forget uh, those of you who missed the beginning of class, um, go ahead and fill that um, uh, drawing form out again. If you haven't, um, one last time and then we'll do the, I'll do the grand prize drawing on Saturday. Um, and don't forget to, to if' you're, for those of you who aren't able to stay for the field trip, we're gonna do the field trip in a minute. Um, but uh, for those of you who aren't able to stay for it, don't forget. Uh, 4 p.m. on Saturday. 1 p.m. is the beginning of our webathon and at 4 p.m. I'll be doing the explanation and announcement of the new big thing. So um, all right, thanks everybody. Uh, it's field trip time. So tonight we're g- we're going to continue trying to uh, finish up Swanfleet. <laughs> I saw someone asking if we're gonna g- if we're gonna return to Regian. We are very close.
1: Yeah, closer and closer to those Stern Mountains.
0: Yep, yeah, we're very close. I'm trying to get through Swanfleet before we get there. Um, but when we get to the gate, we still have the fight with the watcher and stuff to go. So we have, oh, yeah, still several weeks <laughs> of class, but that'll give us time to actually do the Aregian, um, uh, field trip. So,
1: are we going to replay the instance?
0: Um, to wait, oh, yeah,
1: to watch her, watch her in the water,
0: <laughs> yeah, um. Well, maybe we could.
1: I'm not sure if that's an instance or plot thing or cutscene. I'm not sure.
0: I'm going to have to. I'm not sure um, how
1: that works. I will defer to people who know more than I do.
0: Yeah. We'll have to figure out. I haven't been, I haven't, like, approached Moria with a new character since Grifflet, I think, so. Um,
1: Oh, yeah, man. I remember when we did that. That was fun.
0: Yeah, yeah um but um anyway okay all right Thank
1: I'm you. back you're logging in all right I'm back I'm still raiding raiding everybody up
0: okay so yes we're going back to uh Garan. nice all right the
1: waters a solo Solo
0: instance, ah, okay. Still, Corey can replay. Okay. Hey, it's morning in-game. That's nice. It's morning? Oh, so we'll get daylight the whole time? Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we're... We've still got at least a couple more places to go. Let's look around. Okay. Yep, yep. So, we just got to Hlongaren, which looks fairly... So, we've got a bunch of our uh, sort of Celtic friends here who look a lot like our friends down in Enidwyth and Dunland. Um, what's the... Yes, Klanuk. That's what I was thinking of. The the big town in the middle of Enidwife. Um, mm-hmm. This looks much like their architecture. And the locals over here. Yep. With their tattoos and furs, their face tattoos and furs. Wode. Yep. Very similar. Um, So I'm excited by one thing. What's that? Okay, here's what I'm excited by. (laughs) Their architecture here with the sort of whitewashed stone, I think? Yeah. The whitewashed stone and the like you know, the wooden eaves sticking out and sticking up around the smoke hole in the top and everything. Mm -hmm. And then we look up at the tower on the hill. Yeah. Clearly their construction, right? Yes. That tower on the hill, entirely consistent with the architecture of the rest of this little town, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. This is... this the is, white stones are interesting given all the red stone we've been seeing.
0: Yeah, well, again they they seemed there's some grey stone like in this wall here, but it looked like, from the look of that house, it looks like they actually might whitewash the stone.
1: Yeah, with some sort of, of, yeah, lime or something like that.
0: Right, and if we turn around and look from here at like that big house in the middle, and then the tower over there, again, perfectly clear that those watchtowers if watchtowers they be, is what they look like, are Constructed by these folks. And Mm -hmm. remember where we first saw one of those? Up on the hill above Mossward.
1: Oh, yeah. And we
0: were saying, oh, look, that doesn't look like the same architecture down here.
1: Yeah, it does not look like one of the, the Whoville watchtowers we've been seeing.
0: Exactly. But, so that suggests... That suggests some kind of um, overlap. So let me um, first. So let
1: me. Uh, you can actually see where some of the the, the whitewash has r- washed been rubbed away.
0: Yeah, yeah. I thought that's what I was seeing on that other house too. Can cool. we go into this big building? Uh, Doesn't look like it. No, I
1: guess not.
0: No. Nope. Okay. This is a big old building. It'd be kind of fun to see what's inside, but that's okay. So, I mean, you, you got this, first of all, round architecture. So, like, nobody's building square houses exactly, right? We've got these, like, rounded squat buildings with the wood beams sticking out of them.
1: Yeah, corners are wasted space.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, that's their Wait, style. Did
1: you run off, no one could find you.
0: Who, me? Yeah, you. Oh, sorry. I went up on the hill up here by the big house. Uh, okay. Um, so, um...
1: The one with the horns?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Alright. So... And here's one of the towers right over there. And so we can finally get up close to one of those, which we haven't been able to do yet Ooh. to this point. And I doubt we can enter it.
1: Yeah,
0: I wish we could enter one of them. That would be fun. Well, some really rickety door here.
1: Yeah, obviously they're not worried about security.
0: Are they are these splashes of blood around the door? Uh, I kinda think they maybe, kinda think they might Maybe it's
1: be. Passover.
0: Well, that's I mean, that's what I was immediately thinking about. Like some <laughs> some kind of ritual like uh you know, to um you know, I don't know, to like uh solemnize the opening, you know, the building of the, t- of the building, you know, some kind of ritual, right? To- well, the
1: door ain't going to do it.
0: Yeah. I don't know. But, okay, okay. What I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to fit the people of Hlasgaran into mm-hmm. the overall, like, chronology of this town. Or sorry, of this region. So, let's go back to... We had had a Stable Master over here, didn't we? Oh, I think so. Isn't there a Stable Master somewhere? I
1: don't recall.
0: Yes, there's one up here. Okay, yep, at the entrance where we came in. Okay. So, let's just very briefly... I'm going to Stable Master back over to Mossward.
1: We have little to Mm -hmm. say to your kind.
0: Because... And we're always assiduously collecting our stable masters against just such a purpose. Oh, yeah. I mean, against just thorough. such an occasion as this. Um, okay. So back in Mossward, I dismounted right outside of town. Aha, yes. From this rock, though, that tree kind of gets in the way a little bit. From here, we can see all three bits. Element number one the current Brie esque, um, you know, plaster and beam um, construction of the houses with a wooden palisade of the town mm-hmm. itself, right? Yep. Very sort of brie looking. To yep. the east, uh where am I facing? East. Mm-hmm. Up on the hill, which okay, not I can't from exactly the same spot. I think we might need here, to go further up the hill. Um, where'd it go? Where'd it go? I was seeing it just before over here. Where'd it go? Is
1: There's another the tower, tower up there.
0: I misplaced the other tower. Is it behind those trees?
1: Uh it is uh, the trees. You have to go oh, oh, there yeah, it is. No. I zoom out. Oh,
0: okay, on, there's 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 the, the tower. I had to zoom yes. out further. Okay.
1: You can see it better from over here.
0: Yeah, so facing to the, uh, yeah, the, like, uh, southeast. You can see the old Arnorian tower.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, uh, to the west, we can see one of those Plus Garin Towers.
1: Yeah, you can see it really well inside the city gates.
0: Yeah, up on the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so those are the three architectural elements we can see here in this valley. The mm-hmm. Briask village, which those that's modern, obviously more modern than that ruinous tower, yeah. Arnorian Tower over there. Mm-hmm. Right, Cartolingian mm-hmm. uh, Tower. Yep. So, the watchtower, right, the, I want to call it the Chlanuk Tower, but it's not. It's the Hlasgaran Tower.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The Hlasgaran esque tower, clearly built by those people. Oh, yeah. So, that suggests that the Cartolingians came here first. Were the Hlaskaran people already here and were being displaced by the cardo and now are being displaced or have been? I mean, this does not look like a new town. So when they came down here to Mossward um, from. So these look like the same people that built Herna, certainly, Mm -hmm. and Scarlock Farm. Yeah. Right, so we've got, you know, these are extensions of, like, basically Brelanders, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And, uh, but it looks like this is, judging the way in which those watchtowers were built on the heights around the little valley where Hlasgar and the town was located, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The fact that we can see at least one, and I thought when we were looking around two, though it's hard to see in this valley because of all the trees and everything else. But I thought there were two of those around there this are. town on the heights. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah there's yeah. one to
1: the south, but you have to go like away from the town out to the valley to see them. Yeah, yeah, these, that's these what. These f- bushes aren't helping matters. Yeah, it's I like thought where I am, if you find me, it's like south of the red circle. You can then look right past the guard tower and you see
0: the... Yeah. Tower. I thought I remembered seeing it when we were riding around the countryside. Yeah. So, that seems to me to suggest that perhaps this very valley in which Mosswood is built was once a settlement of the people of Las Garan. mm mm-hmm. um, And that they were displaced by these, let's just call them Brelanders, um, they were displaced by the Brelanders coming south. But they, 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 the Brelanders, left the tower up there.
1: Yeah. Which I, I do wonder, maybe they couldn't get to it or something.
0: Maybe they couldn't get to it. Maybe they use it. You know, maybe they find it yeah, useful. Yeah.
1: Um, it looks pretty deserted up there, though. I mean, it does. You can see it, you can see no it better inside the, the gates of the village. You can see it's kind of isolated on a very sheer cliff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Well, let's look. Go back to um, Hlasgarin. But this is a very indirect way. Why does the stable master bring you in through that gate? It's a still a long way. Oh well, whatever. Okay. So back to our friend, the there. stable master. Hello there. And to... we're gonna go back to Hlasgarin. Uh, It's possible, Arnold, that um, there was an intermingling of the peoples, though I'm not seeing really any, apart from the fact that that old tower was left there, I'm not really seeing any obvious cultural influence as represented by, you know, their architecture or their clothing.
1: Yeah, we're not really seeing like a, we're not seeing a, a, a Dun- Dun- lending in Brelander clothing, or a Brelander with woad paint on his face. It no. doesn't seem to be a, a, a sort of a homogenization or combination of the cultures as much.
0: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't prove that there was no intermingling way back, but um, mm-hmm. it... Um,
1: if they did, it was pure assimilation on, on one party's part.
0: It does seem so. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. And... So but what we're seeing so far in Swanfleet as a whole and we always knew that Swanfleet was like a border region, right? Um mm-hmm. at the point of transition between Old Arnor and Old Garn- and Old Gondor. Um but in the kind of no man's land that nobody really claimed and no like neither kingdom claimed and or did much with. Um but one of the things I'm noticing so far is that everything is pretty uh, separated, right? We have the, the Breland-esque Mossward um, mm-hmm. with that one interesting relic as an exception. We have the little hobbit enclave down in the hills. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're seeing um, a Dunlending uh, settlement here in the middle in Llangaren. Though with evidence that there used to be more, I didn't see any, by the way, in the mountains. The hobbits don't seem to have displaced anybody. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, and uh,
1: I. Sorry, I agree, Rowan. It's it's very clear. It feels very Breeish. like you give it maybe another millennia, and we might have something similar to Breish in the end.
0: Yeah, in Mossword, you mean?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, in Swanfleet.
0: In Swan Fleet as a whole, yeah. Um, yeah. What well, is interesting if to see if that's the direction that it's trending because it is, um, of course, Brie is notable. Where am I going? I'm, okay, I'm headed back to the road. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, Brie is notable for its intermingling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's emphasized about it. Yeah. Um, and. Um, ooh. Huh. What am I looking at? It
1: oh, looks like it's wrapped in. A lot I'm of looking skin. at something else. Potem? That's
0: that's Karas gelebrin Gale- up there.
1: Oh, oh, I thought you were looking at the pole.
0: you know I'm <laughs> looking at behind the pole. Uh,
1: that's an interesting pole.
0: <laughs> it is, and there are a bunch of them. It's like not What's right ra- what's wrapped around them? It looks like Cowhide or arachide? Yeah.
1: Is it yeah. like training wheels for beginning riders.
0: Yeah. Oh, don't it makes me think of Henstaker Farm. Don't remind me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um. Yes, yeah, Karas Glebrin hey, Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that's we'll 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 see. But I'm not going to go that way yet. Quite. Mm. Um. Maybe we'll end up in that direction. But let's go back. And look, because I said, we'd go back and look at one more thing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is the river crossings and such.
1: So you mentioned it like it needs a, a little push to become like Bree. And I think like part of the plot of this whole area is that we're starting to see that as the, the free peoples have to come together against the threat of the goblins and Isengard. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That might that might be the final push that sort of in, you know uh, that uh, joins the communities together. Yes, that were previously isolationist.
0: Isolated, non non-cro- generally non crossing over uh, establishments
1: mm-hmm.
0: are what we have definitely is def- definitely been the trend here so yeah. far.
1: It's all well and good till you have a common enemy and you need to band up.
0: Yeah. Okay, so now here's my question: How similar is this bridge to the bridges we were seeing in the Hobbit territory? I think yeah, this is yeah. more cartilagin, for sure. Oh yeah. Oh, the
1: blue thread running through. Yep, the blue thread stuff. running
0: through the kind of like uh, pointy capitals on the top of those like the columns oh, yeah. on the side. That's
1: They kind of look like the helmets without the wings.
0: Yeah, I wanted to see if there was evidence. Because obviously these bridges were built by, you know, Gondor and Arnor back when they were building the Greenway. Yeah. These look a
1: bit like the pylons we saw sticking out at Tharnbad.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I was wanting to compare these bridges to the ones in Klaegor, especially,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as a way of seeing if there was evidence that the Arnorians or Gondorians built over there before the hobbits took it over. And I think definitely not. So oh, there I goes, think guys. I'm ready to conclude then that the bridges in Klaegor are in fact of hobbit construction and that I mm-hmm. don't think that there's any um, evidence that humans ever built there. I think that's like original Hobbit stuff from the beginning.
1: The the rickety ones, for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's... There's one other place we haven't gone, and it's late.
1: (laughs) Nancy made the comment that uh, King Alessar, that'll be part of his uh, new agenda in the Fourth Age is the uh, unity of Swanfleet. Yeah. Right, maybe so. How do you get. LSAR 2024.
0: <laughs> How do you. Okay, I guess. Is there a way up over here? I uh,
1: hmm. guess we'll find out. Can, I... ah! Can nope, you... clipping through the rock.
0: Yeah, I'm clipping through the rock too. Yeah,
1: yep, yep, yep. How do you, uh, How do you get up No, to this the... is a bad business, sir. <laughs> Can you... Ought not to have been started.
0: Oh, man. I'm trying to see if we can get up to the ruin. I don't uh, know that we can. No, no, uh, I'm, no,
1: no. I'm, no, no. I'm going to have to hit back slack on stuck in a minute. Oh, goes.
0: no, you're stuck?
1: Uh, no, I just got free. I had to wiggle a bit. But... I fell in a crevice. Uh... Oh.
0: Um... I don't think they want us to go up to that ruin.
1: <laughs> yeah, they Time really do. Scenario.
0: Which is frankly impolite, I'm just going to
1: say. <laughs> I didn't tell him you said that.
0: Frankly no consider- impolite. No
1: consideration for the video gamer archaeologist. Come
0: on now, I mean, if you're going to am- make a ruin on the hilltop,
1: let us go no, up and explore that's the no ruin. enticing. I see a goat up there. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, no, no, there's that is completely impassable. Yep, nope, nope. Well, fine. Okay.
0: What is perfectly clear is that this now wholly inaccessible ruin is obviously (laughs) a Cardolan ruin.
1: Yeah, I guess so. We've been rumbled.
0: So from here, I'm just going to like with assumed dignity uh, ignore the fact that I'm being tantalized by that ruin <laughs> what I'm wondering is
1: oh we found a way up did go you? go around west go around to the west yeah it's a hill there's a there's an orc up there
0: yeah how do you get up there?
1: A sheer force of kill. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, because okay. this is definitely a mob camp. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Fine. Yep. All is forgiven. Okay, so. Huh. Alright, so it's all sort of corroded. Well, I'm excited to see what kind of a building this is. Uh, Not a fortification.
1: Certainly not.
0: That was my first question. Is Is this a strong point? And the answer is no. It's an awesome view. But yeah, no, I think this was a... I think this was a country house. Hmm. I think it's a country estate up here.
1: Yeah, yeah nice view. <laughs> I wonder if this little mesa here was intact even then, because it's a nice little viewing platform.
0: Yeah, you can see the beautiful mountains and waterfalls, which were probably not at the time occupied by hobbits.
1: I uh, bet all those little uh, inlets and oxbow lakes weren't quite there either.
0: You can look awesome. out the other you way know. at the, the river and the lowlands.
1: Yeah. What, what settlement is that across there? Is that, Oh, that's, Slang, that's Slangarad. We're seeing a little better, but what's right. What's just beyond that in the wade water? Huh. we go and find
0: out. I guess. Oh yeah. There's something out there, isn't there?
1: Yeah. On one of the islands.
0: It does look like it. All right. So. Intriguing. It is a little intriguing. Okay. So we've got Han down there. I'm thinking. So here's my question. Do you think that Han was there when this was built? Uh... I don't see any reason to believe that Longarn is that old.
1: Yeah. I mean, it'd be clearly in a serf-vassal relationship if it was there. Yeah. But we don't even know how much the river's changed since then.
0: Wow, what am I looking at over there?
1: Yeah, that's what I was saying. There's like a little... Is that a village, or standing stones, or ruins, or what is that? I
0: I bet you it's, I'm guessing that's a cemetery. I bet that's a burial it ground.
1: It
0: is not. It's what it looks it's, like. We'll see. Okay.
1: Yes. Uh, it looks elven from my sharp eyes. Yeah, I see a couple of sharp, well, I, I can see a couple of arches over there.
0: I'm, I'm seeing elvish stuff to the due east of here it's the thing to, the, to north, the north, northeast. Right on the other side of Flongarin. Yeah. Yep.
1: Um, I am then, there now. It's yeah. called Gual
0: Kruvan. Well, well, hang on, hang on. We'll <laughs> we'll sorry, see. Sorry. I, 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 let's not spoil the wonder with haste. Um, let's not eat all of the chocolates in our Advent calendar. We'll get there. Oh, exactly. Let's not eat all the chocolates in our Advent calendar. That's exactly right. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, fun. Maybe we should start from um, maybe we should start from Lungarni. I was going to pop up the road to the next Stable Master. Maybe we'll start from there and next week we'll explore the islands because it yeah, looks that's... like there are some things to discover around about the islands. So we'll yeah. look about the islands and then we'll um, end up at the Stable Master there next time. Look at Kalas Gilebran and then we will only have um, then we'll have Western Oregoneian and that will transition us back into Eregion so no problem. that's what we'll do. All right. excellent. very good. as well, I was pretty- say it's getting late yeah. we will um, uh, we will we will see you guys next time.
1: Thanks everybody. Happy Krampus knocked. <laughs>
0: Happy what? (laughs) All right. Uh, Good night, folks. See you guys again soon.